and welcome to Unscripted Equity Curiosity, Season 2, Episode 11. Said that all in one breath. Yeah. Um, hosted by me, I'm Ami Joseph, Hedgeye Technology, as well as Andrew Friedman, Hedgeye Communications, and Felix Wong, Hedgeye China, um, where we get together and discuss different um different things that are mostly from the cutting room floor of our work. We spend all day researching companies in our different sectors. And with our goal is always to find best ideas long and best ideas short. But there's a lot of research that falls to the cutting room floor. And there's a lot of things that are more just contemporary events of the day that are going to impact how we see equities or how we think about multiples and things like that. Uh, and we try to talk about them here. Um, and today, one of the interesting things that is happening uh, is like a reversal of last year. And so if you've been following our podcast over time, so this is season two, um, last year, there were times where everything was just fine in U.S. equities, but China was a complete mess. And a very strange thing has happened recently. <laughs> that U.S. equities are a complete mess, mess. Uh, but maybe just the last few weeks, there's something happening in China. In spite of the fact that geopolitically, or at least from the news wires, um, there's a lot of crap still coming out of China in terms of zero COVID policy and economy and things like that, and so on and so forth. So we're going to put Felix on the spot for a little while, and Andrew and I are going to throw questions, and Felix is going to go as long as his voice holds up, um, because he has uh, uh, a cold that is lingering, and no, it's not COVID. Um, but it's a cold, and um, we hope it feels better really fast. So, Felix, so throwing the ball in your corner here, Felix, can you give us a few seconds of, or minutes in this case, of what what's going on? Like, why why are Chinese equities again decoupling from U.S. equities? Um, get, bring us into the room here. Let us know what's going on. Hey, Ami. Uh, thanks for the intro. Uh, yeah, it's very interesting uh, times in China. There's always, it's always interesting times in China, but particularly right now, just because if you look at where the stocks are going, particularly with China equities, they've been significantly outperforming the U.S. equities on a one to two month basis. Yes, China's been in the basement <clears throat> last year, just like you mentioned particularly with the regulatory pressures. Yes, we had the COVID lockdowns earlier this year that threw another wrench into the Chinese economy. But look, I, I think there's a few things that China's doing very differently from the rest of the world right now. Everybody is, um, everybody is reacting to the inflationary pressures. So as a result, the central banks have very little they can do to, to support the economy. Instead, they have to raise interest rates, whereas China is in the opposite. Uh, they're easing, um, they're, they're cutting rates in different parts of the economy, particularly on the property side and then also on the banking side. Uh, but they are also giving out stimulus. To me, that is a very differentiated and new type of um, policy um, versus a lot of the other developed countries around the world. The other thing that people have to keep in mind is the reason why, you know, I wouldn't say, uh, you know, the main reason, but one of the main reasons why we've had this big plunge, particularly in the tech sector around the world, is, is because of the COVID lockdowns. And thank God we're finally getting out of there. I think 
if you look at what's going on um, on the COVID-19 situation, it just keeps getting better and better. Um, Shanghai last night only had 30-something cases. Beijing, only 18 cases. That is nothing. That's pretty much COVID zero. Um, and, you know, I think there's a lot of optimism that many of the citizens there that had to go through uns- um, unimaginable suffering for the last two months, you know, they, they there's some recovery hopes now. And for those who are, want anything resembling a normal life in Shanghai, um, you know, these lockdowns have been particularly hurtful on the logistics side and supply chain, but also on morale. I mean, this doesn't get talked about enough. Morale is is at a bottom in China, um, particularly because of these lockdowns. And, and so I think the recovery process is now beginning tomorrow, Omni, uh, or 46 minutes from now, uh, will be June 1st. And that's been the kind of the uh, the official date for the reopening phase to begin. In other words, no more of a full lockdown, but a gradual phase phases to more of a uh, you know normal lifestyle. So when that happens uh, uh, with the reopening, you know a lot of my industries will immediately benefit particularly on offline retail, online retail, travel, life services. I I think, you know, even education, these are all beneficiaries um, just because things will try to resume back to normal. Um, I also think it it will be interesting to see what happens with the unemployment rate because it's been ticking up, you know, in the past few months. But the government has also issued out various policies to help with college graduates who are unable to find a job. Um, you know, we will see if 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 that was start to also tick down as thing as new as businesses open up again. In the meantime, it's a very challenging job market in China, and a lot of these uh, graduates who can't find a job they have to go back to school. Um, either to do a master's or to do a vocational education. So that's, again, uh, a boost for my education names. Hey, hey, I, hey Felix, I have a quick question for you. Um, yeah, go ahead. Inflation, right? It's an issue everywhere, right? Um, mostly in developed uh, economies. But I'm curious, what's the state of inflation? Uh, what has it been? What is it today? What do you think it's going to be in China? Are they experiencing similar issues? Um, um, yeah, look, I, I think consumer prices are climbing, uh, just like the, the rest of the world. But the, the, the difference is they're, they're climbing less in China versus the rest of the world. So, you know, I, I think right now inflation is around 2-ish percent. So regardless, it's, it's still well below the PBOC's official CPI target, which is around 3%. Uh, think about 3% inflation. Where else can you find somewhere around the world that's lower than 3% inflation? Uh, you can't find it. Yeah. Did, so, they, did they give stimulus checks out or, or stimulus out yeah. during last time too? During, um, in 2020 they, or 21? In 2020, they did give out vouchers, uh, yeah. you know, e, e-vouchers, uh, offline vouchers, so try, or tax rebates or VAT rebates. So, 
Yeah, so they're doing something similar to last time. I think di the difference being this time is they're trying to um, give out more initiatives in certain impacted areas, like Shanghai, for example. Shanghai, their local, um, their local government is doing something separate that targets specifically Shanghai. And um, with an action plan over the weekend on how they're going to to recover after weeks of extended lockdown. So I, I, I think all of this is very, very uh, supportive of, 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 the, of the economy. Um, you know, there's a lot of COVID hit industries, so you need support from the government, whether it's in the form of tax cuts, fee reductions, or even like if you have to sustain an apartment and you need help with rent, you know, rent relief is also coming on the way. All of this is very positive. I, I think more of this has to come as as China, you know, uh, recovers and normalizes. If you um, if you listen to Josh Steiner today on the morning call, um, he talked about slowing shipping rates, which um, I imagine also means that China is exporting less and. Uh, while stimulus will be good for homegrown consumption um, and, and maybe paying also paying down some debt and such for the consumer, um, does the slowing shipping rates make you worry that China's, you know, still largely export economy will, will go, will slow regardless of the, of the stimulus effort? Uh, that is a great question. I think it's, I'm not in the. Uh, I, I, I'm I'm not quite sure the you know the export import situation um, in China. What I can say is, you know, there's there has been fears of a food crisis, right, because of what's going on with the Ukraine Russia war. But uh, China is 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 they 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 they're self sufficient in terms of production of food. Um, in fact, they're, I think they're the biggest producer of grain, uh, but they're also the biggest importer of other agricultural goods like soybeans, for example. So, um, from that perspective, there's no food crisis. I think that was over, uh, that was exaggerated by a lot of the bears out there. Um, but look, yeah, I, I think, you know, China is going to focus a lot more on their domestic consumption. Uh, they, they want, um, and less on exporting. But again, you know, this is not really in my expertise um, to talk about export versus import. Okay. What I think is important is, you know, how constructive the government is in stimulating the, their domestic population. Uh, they understand that citizens are hurting big time in some areas of China, and, you know, they're trying to help. Um, so as long as that type of message, as long as that type of body language continues to happen, I think, you know, it should be pretty fruitful. It's interesting. Like, I wonder if also there's sort of like a geopolitical moment where um, because the West is tightening and therefore by definition shrinking and sort of like, a, you know, proactively shrinking itself. If the fact that China is loosening rates 
means that they're trying to use this moment from a political perspective, also and not just economics, right? They're trying to use this as a chance to um, put wind in their sails when the rest of the world is sort of like, you know, um, whatever the correct sailing analogy would be. Um, so uh, uh, being the opposite of that. Um, what do you think about that? And then a follow-up question is also just on the COVID front. I know this is like a very domain-specific, you know, to, to healthcare question, but have you thought about like why is China still aiming for zero COVID when the rest of the world seems to be like living with it because it's no, it doesn't seem to be a deadly disease anymore, at least, or at least our hospitals aren't suffering, our frontline workers aren't in at risk and things like that. That was what caused the United States, at least, and the West to shut down in the beginning. Um, why do you think China has taken a more rigid? I'm sure you've given, you've probably given this some thought. Like, why, why would they before and risk their economy over something like this? I don't know if you have thoughts on either of those two questions, the geopolitical and the COVID. Yeah, great, great questions. Let me just answer your COVID question first because it's a very popular question, um, particularly when people who don't understand the China economy, uh, the, how China, why China is different from the hey, rest of the hey, world. Hey, Felix, I'm just, I don't mean to interrupt you. Your audio is a little off. I don't know if you can. Oh, can, can, is, it, is it better? Sorry. That, that, yeah, that's better. It's a lot better. Thanks. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, so, <clears throat> thanks, Andrew. Um, so, you know, Omni, your, your, your question on, on COVID is, is, is a good one because it's very popular and quite misunderstood by many people who are trying to understand why China has to go through a zero COVID policy versus the rest of the world. I'll just say a few things. Um, one, it's important to know that China's vaccine rate among the elderly, particularly in the major cities, is quite low. I think it's about 50, no more than 60%. So there is concern of a of a uh, hospital overrun, if you will, um, in, if there's a mass pandemic and there's a lot of infections. I don't know how much of the healthcare facilities are able to handle that. So that's number one. Number two, in a lot of the big tier cities like Shanghai, like Shenzhen, like Beijing, population density is through the roof. You have 100 people living on the same roof. So with one get infected, you can, you know, get a sense of how, how, how concerning that could be and how quickly it can spread through communities. So this is another reason why China's, regular, China's quarantine rules and China's policies on COVID is a lot more strict than the rest of the world. Um, the other thing I, I would just note just for for the kick of it, and that's been raised by a lot of conspiracy theorists out there, is the COVID zero policy or zero COVID policy is there from a politics angle. Um, and I guess there's some credence to it because President Xi wants to remain control of his policies and doesn't want people talking shit about it. Um, but, you know, he his lieutenants are really are really the ones that are implementing it, not him, right? He had to fire one of his, actually he had to fire one of his um, own teammates because of what happened with Shanghai, which was a huge policy mistake on his part. Not Xi's part, but Xi's, uh, uh, one of his uh, younger staff members who was in charge of Shanghai at that time. So, you know, 
There, yes, so there is a little bit of political implications there, but my thinking is it's mainly because you know of the fears of an over, over, overrun of hospitals, the fear of a mass pandemic raising to you know a lot of chaos uh, among the community. So this is why China had to do what they had to do for Shanghai. But the question is, they didn't even have to do this if they follow the examples of others who encountered this, you know, in March, for example, like Shenzhen, if they just follow the Shenzhen model, we wouldn't even be in this situation. Um, but because Shanghai didn't, and because of a major policy error, now they had to go through, you know, very aggressive, sometimes too aggressive measures to contain this. What I would say now is you, you're hearing less and less criticism of zero COVID policy, just because look at the cases, 33 cases or so, you know, it's something's working, right? Yes, there've been a couple of deaths here and there. Yes, people's lives are suffering. Yes, people are gonna be jobless in some areas, but at least lives are being saved. Um, I don't, you know, I don't have an opinion one way or the other on this policy, but I look at the numbers and right now it's, it's you know, they're, they're, they're trending down. So something's working. Now, on your first question, um, I think it's an interesting one because, uh, you know, yes, everywhere around the world is tight. And, and, and China, you know, as a socialist economy, they, you know, they're, they're, they're loosening just because they have, uh, they have some tools that they can use to try to stimulate the economy. On the, and the other thing is, as we mentioned before, their inflationary pressures are less than that of, say, the U.S., right, where you see CPI up to, what, 8% or so, um, CPI growth. So, you know, they have some tools they can use to stimulate the economy. It's not all, you know, it's, it's not going to be a flooding of stimulus just because they have other things to worry about, particularly with Ukraine and then also with oil prices and so forth. Uh, but... At least they're trying, and the local governments, more importantly, are trying as well. It's not just the central government. So that does send a message uh, that you know the yeah China gets a lot of shit on what the government did on restricting the economy and restricting growth last year on the regulation side and you know the crackdown on many of the uh, so-called laissez-faire industries that grown too quickly for the government to actually monitor them. But the government could be good as well in some cases, like what you're seeing with the stimulus checks and the, and the subsidies. They feel the pain from the merchants, from, from the small, particularly from the small and medium enterprises. So they're trying their best to help them out during this tough time. So... Yeah, there is a political message here. I, I think um, right now, you know, as you can, uh, you may, as you may see, or as you may have heard, social media has been a little bit more calm lately regarding the government's actions, just because things are moving in the right direction. Uh, <clears throat> Felix, I have a quick question for you. Well, it's not quick, um, but 
<laughs> I, I guess I guess if everything kind of plays out within your base case or maybe you know whatever you think is your you know high probability scenario, right? If, if we're sitting here one year from now and we're having this conversation, like what do you think the narrative is? What what, what do you think the narrative is? I, I think the narrative is easy comps. Um, look at what China had to go through. And it's not just easy comps year over year. I think it's easy comps on a two-year comparison as well. Look at where China had to go, th- what, what they had to go through in 2021, which was a disaster year, right? Particularly from the regulation side. Then they had to go through this, you know, incredibly controversial COVID-19 lockdown in Shanghai. Next year, 2023, God God forbid another outbreak, but if we don't have an outbreak, everybody should show growth year over year, okay? Um, And then on a two-year basis, it it may be even higher just because of the regulatory uh, pain that a lot of these platform economy, uh, platform companies had to endure. Again, I have to compare with other developed countries around the world, particularly the U.S., they don't have that, you know. Um, sure, you know, maybe the Nasdaq, you know, and a lot of the tech-heavy companies um, have gotten killed the last few months. But almost, but they're still pretty close to, yeah. at least for S&P, pretty close to record highs, if I'm correct. Yeah. You can't say that for China. China, you know, a lot of these companies are down 90 plus percent. Some of these industries have gone away. Right, because of all these crackdowns. So, I like now. I like my chances. I, I still think China is going to outperform um, mm-hmm. the rest of the world. If you, yeah, I have one one other question. This one is quick. Um, if we just like look at the indices, I don't know. However, you want to benchmark it. I don't know if you want to look at like the KWEB ETF or like any of these China ADRs. If if delisting risk were to go away. I know you're in the camp that it's like 1% probability, but I would assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the market probably thinks that the probability is higher. But yeah. let's say let's say like delisting risk were to go away 100%, it would go to zero, right? It's not going to happen. What do you think the move would be higher in some of these, you know, ADR uh, ETFs? Like, like, what do you think they that they would do on price? I think a lot, uh, a lot of the valuation declines in the multiple and the valuations in my space um, is because of the risk of delisting and people. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of the particularly on the long only side, they're 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 very scared uh, to, to to touch these companies just because they can wake up the next day and they think, oh, it's, yeah. You know, well, well, let's just, let, let's, like, let's just, let's just, I mean, no one's going to hold it to you, right? I'm, I, but like, I'm just curious, like subjectively, like I, I, shoot, from, I, I, shoot from the hip, like, you know, delisting goes to zero, we wake up tomorrow yeah. and, you know, is it up 10%, up 50%? You know, what, what would be like kind of your ballpark I, 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 reasonable? I think it will be a huge surge in, in the valuation multiple to be <clears throat> normalized multiple uh, a lot of companies in my space some i'm short some i'm not but a lot of them are trading at one time sales or, or or below that uh, some are even trading at uh, at high theoretically a negative valuation but i would you know i would argue against that but so my point is there are ridiculous mo- low multiples and 
Yes, China's slowing. Yes, China has a lot of issues. But part of that, and a big part of that, is the delisting, the delisting concern, which is taking a chunk of that valuation premium from those companies. If you take that away, you know, what could we look at? Well, during the heydays, sales multiples, PE multiples were 2x, 3x times where we are today, right? Actually, in the heydays, it was much higher than that. But in a normalized state, it was two to three x that. So I don't think equities will rebound five percent. I, I think equities rebound fifty percent if the delisting is off the table. Now the question is, when does that happen, right? And in what phase? And in what kind of adjustments these companies will have to make. It won't be just, oh, no delisting, you know, no slap on the wrist. You, you, you guys are going to be free to do whatever you want. I think there will be some change to the, again, the accounting for some of these companies that's going to raise, you know, higher compliance costs, right? Um, and if some are going to be delisted, if any. Um, so this, there is that worry. But, I, you know, valuation has been crushed just because people, a lot of long loans are exiting China because they can't take on this risk of delisting. So if that, if that goes away, whenever that date is, November 22nd this year or, you know, even earlier, I hope, yeah. this summer, so, so the like, fiscal no, mood is going to be even bigger because now, you know, you can really – look at these companies on a like-for-like basis with the other companies around the world. At this point, you can't just because it's only the China ADRs plus a few other foreign entities that are having this delisting issue. Like Facebook is not going to be delisted. So you can't really compare a tech giant versus a China giant, a U.S. tech giant versus a China tech giant on a valuation basis because of these delisting risks. So that's something... Who, yep. who do you, who do you, yeah, no, that, that's awesome. It's because like, that's, I mean, that lines up with the easy comps. Like you could really paint the picture of like a massive rally in Chinese equities, you know, that lines up well with like really fun, easy base effects. So you're kind of like off to the races for a space that like a lot of people probably like left for dead or cut exposure to uh, in the last couple of years. Absolutely. Um, I mean, that's why I'm wearing my bathrobe, man. Yeah, no, if, if there, if, if, and this is my last question, and, and it's just, it's very fascinating. If, if there was, so let's say we go through this whole uh, delisting, like added disclosure, or sorry, not delisting, this, this whole added level of uh, uh, auditing, right? This added um, layer of transparency to be compliant and avoid delisting. Like, like, who do you think has the most skeletons in their closet? Like, who do you think is, from, from an accounting perspective or just, from whatever, like, do you think would be at the greatest risk of potentially disclosing something that people would be unhappy with or, you know, not wanting to disclose it because it would be so bad. So therefore they end up getting delisted. Yeah. I mean, it's gotta be like one or is there like one that stands out? It's gotta be in a economically, it's gotta be in a data sensitive area. So either it's a, you know, um, um, I mean, obviously, you know, Didi is, is a very special case, but it's gotta be a company that, has very close ties with the government. So, you know, either SOE that's listed, that's still listed. I don't know how many SOEs that are still listed in the 90s, but if they're, if it's an SOE, you know, that's at risk. I think if it's a company that is, 
very data heavy, but most of their operations are in China. You know, that could be under heavy scrutiny. I'm not going to say Alibaba. I don't think, you know, Baba's too big. A lot of people are saying, you know, Baba's too big to the list. Um, you know, but Baba has a lot of data out there. <laughs> um, particularly, you know, um, given how big they are. Um, so, I, you know, it's hard to answer your question. I know for sure a lot of the, they don't, the SOEs are probably, if they're still listed in, in the U.S., they're, they're, they're probably at high risk. Um, and then you got to look at anyone who has a lot of data exposure, um, you know, that could be forced to either change their business organization, the business strategy, or they may have to do something differently with the VIEs structure. I mean, there's a lot of different scenarios that could come out of this. Um, so that's why people are, are fearful, but I, I, I still believe to today that it's in the best interest of both parties, U.S. and China, to keep these listings in the U.S. And the companies wholeheartedly agree. Um, I, it, it blows my mind that, you know, if someone talked to me, actually an investor talked to me recently and said, well, we want all these to delist because then the delisting hurdles out of the way. And then we can finally mess. Well, it doesn't work like that because if these companies delist, the investor sentiment will absolutely plunge. You, there's a reason why they are listed in the U.S. This is home to a global investor base. They can get financing. They can apply to a U.S. rules, which is still more lax than that in China and Hong Kong. So there are reasons why listing in the U.S. is great. And that when you take that away, to me, that creates a lot more uncertainty as an investor. Um, and, you know, a lot of the different other hurdles that these companies would have to face. So there's no doubt in my mind, no doubt in my mind, you don't want these things to delist. This is why the CSRC has to work out an agreement with the SEC. Um, and most of these companies we're talking about, Andrew, on the ADR side, they're, you know, they should be relatively safe. They're not um, uh, at great risk of delisting. Awesome, Felix. Thank you. That's uh, that's all I got. Felix, I, I wanted to just, I have a sort of follow up, but I want to make sure I understood kind of like the view here that you're kind of saying that 2020 sucked because of COVID. 2021 sucked because of regulatory. I'm talking about China now specifically because of regulatory. 2022 has been terrible because of the COVID lockdown. So what you're saying is 2023 will be easy year over year growth. 2024 should be even better. So you're saying and, there's a chance. Yeah. So <laughs> my question is, I have a two-parter. First part is, who? where do you think the pain has been the steepest um, where the business models are still like strong and intact? where they will, the snapback will be just absolutely like a like a moonshot um you know kind of like pulling a rubber band back and then you gotta let go and then there's just this huge snapback effect positive snapback effect over the next two years so that's question number one is who's in that bucket um you can give me one or ten tickers or i don't know whatever you want to however you want to describe it 
And then the corollary question is that um, when we had our don't fight the Fed moment here in the United States, stocks went ballistic, but it also was a bubble. And even really, really stinky companies went up a lot. In fact, maybe the most up went up, went up the most. And um, it didn't it didn't prove to be like lasting. It was it was more of like a speculative 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 um, uh, asset creation as opposed to like a real improvement. So where do you think the risk is for that category in China? Uh, either again, any way you want to describe it, either either a stock or a group or category or whatever. Well, that's interesting, Omni, because many people forgot about this, but China was in a bubble. They were in a bubble in in early 2021, but people forgot about it just because of how far China has fallen post that bubble. But China had a great start to 2021. You know, um, no, it hit all-time highs. In a lot of my internet space, we had an IPO. That was the biggest IPO. One of the biggest IPOs ever with Kwaizo. You know, there was feverish demand uh, in the tech Space was up 20, 30% easily in a week. It was a lot of money going in. So they were in a bubble heading into 2021 in the first quarter of 2021. And then things started to unravel with the regulation. So I think people forgot we were uh, in China very briefly was in a bubble uh, with ridiculous valuations across my internet space. But the, the first industry to recover from all this is the internet space because it's gotten hit hard so much. But I, I you know, the, 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 the so I would say the counter argument to that is, well, the internet industry is at an inter- interesting stage. Um, and we may have to go through another conversation on this, but you know, the, they're at an internet interesting stage in that high growth or hyper growth is, is no longer there. Right, so they saw some instance of this before, before the regulations started to come. But once the regulations come, that was it. That was a death knell for a lot of the hyper growth companies. Um, so what does that mean? That means they have to diversify. They have to look at other revenue streams. They have to cut costs. They have to cut operations. They have to rectify their you know their entire team they have to lay off people so they're getting a big big facelift um and some people that come out of this facelift will go bankrupt but some people will come out of this facelift maybe even better if you have a longer time frame and you know those are the companies that will probably get more investor interest in in 2023 and 2024, if we're right on this deep recovery for China, but it's not a it's not a solution for everybody. I, I think you know when we look into 2023, 2024, some some companies may may disappear um, just because the pressure from all these hurdles that China had to face is just too much, and the regulatory pressures. Yes, they're easing, but they're still there right? How much of an impact are they going to have on their business? It's not, it's not, it's not all equal. It's going to be pretty uneven across the board. So this is why I still believe it's going to be a, it's going to be a stop pickers world in China uh, for the rest of this year. And then also into 2023, you know, I, 
I, I don't I don't see a if we're right on the full recovery, I don't see a wave that lifts all boats, but most of the boats will be lifted though. I mean. That's amazing. Just as we wrap, like is Baidu just like the most obvious name among China internet that would be a beneficiary or or what what's like the most obvious name in that group? Uh yeah, I, I mean I you know I, the most obvious name out of the out of the revelation side are the two big internet giants that have been hit or the three big internet giants that have been hit hardest. Um that's Alibaba, that's Tencent. Um and I guess you could include Baidu in that group too, particularly on the internet side, on the advertising side. So the the old China, BAT. Unfortunately, I, I, you know, I think Tencent has a lot of issues, even if they get out of the regulatory hurdle. So that's why I've, I've been negative on Tencent. So that's why it's hard for me to answer your question. I, I think, you know, names that can show huge cash flows generation during this cost cutting area um, are going to get big benefit. Players like PDD, players like Quizo, these, you know, um, these names. Uh, actually, Chrysler doesn't. Chrysler's more of a high growth name rather than earnings. They're not, they're still in the negative. But player like PDD, you know, I've been pitching this name uh, for a while. They've undergone a transformation from revenue based to basically earnings based, and now it's become a value play. Find me another value play that can grow 30% plus on the top line. And if things really normalize in China, it's going to be higher than 30%. Um, so, you know, that's just one name I think that could, that could, uh, get closer to their better days, so to speak in early, um, 2020 and early 2021. Very cool. Very cool. Well, that we'll have to wrap it there, but, um, Felix, thank you very much. This was, um, enlightening and awesome. And I'm glad your voice held up the whole way. And thank you very much for sitting in the hot seat today. Andrew and I definitely learned a lot and, um, for our listeners out there, I hope you did too. Um, again, this was season two, episode 11 of Unscripted Equity Curiosity, and we'll see you next time. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal tax accounting or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedgeye is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the Terms of Service at Hedgeye.com slash Terms of Service.